This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl Like it became a quite a big topic for me because I live in a society where most of my friends order food from outside and they don't, they're not involved in the practices of cooking. So even at the Fanaik, I was creating these social places where we were doing so sourdough pizza together. I was talking about how the yeast, uh, the, the, the bacteria from the sourdough activates the, breaks down the gluten, that it's almost gluten free. That's why we don't get bloated or inflammatory in our bodies and how the sauce is made and how the which vegetables from the landscape from here. So we were making it into a practice that we every Friday would have a sourdough pizza night where we would actually make pizzas all together. And then my Nigerian friend said, wow, you put on the oven for just one bread? And I was like, yeah, in a way. And he's like, well, if I did that in my country, I would be a rich person. I would be a wealthy person because you waste all the rest of the energy in the oven and you don't maximize the space. Because if you put on an energy source that you use it for to maximize this energy source to be able to use it for your community, you bake for everybody. So welcome, dear listeners, for another talk in our series, How to Thrive on Mull. And we're not on Mull anymore. We're back. And I'm in Maastricht here talking to Asle Hatipoglu. Glu, glu, glu. Tell me, Asle, <laughs> how do I pronounce your last name? Hatipolu. Hatipolu. Asle Hatipolu. And Asle wasn't able to make it to Mull, but she was part of the team. She still is part of the team. So we're going to pick up the conversation here. And I'm visiting her in her studio at the Jan van Eyck Academy in Maastricht. She was preparing me for a big mess, but I think it looks quite okay. <laughs> and for our listeners, it's quite a small studio, but it's very high. It's filled with uh, shelves with jars on them, with lots of things Ferments. in them that start <laughs> that are fermenting. Mm -hmm. We're sitting next to a big aquarium where a kombucha culture is doing its work, mm -hmm. you can say. So it is a mix of a laboratory, a kitchen, a mm -hmm. storage room, but it has all these familiar elements of dried mm -hmm. goods, mm -hmm. uh, things on... Alive. Alive things, but also things sort of cooking, mm -hmm. boiling in pots. Mm -hmm. And the smell. And the smell, yeah. It's overlapping on very, each other. very nice yeah. smell. It's, it's a bit sort of a yeasty smell. Mm -hmm. well, how, how would you describe this smell? The general smell in this space yeah i can definitely smell my kombucha for sure uh, because it's uh, uh at the moment it's in the format of like in, in the process of vinegaring and uh, every time it's changing uh, it's makes me go through a different landscape of or different thoughts and and things that are metaphorical to my life so um every time i enter i do smell the process of them changing into something else but it's also internally something is changing as well so i think this smellscape changing is also somehow the climate changing internal climate changing and 
Yeah. So there's there's we always work or not always, but lots of times we work with a weather report yeah. in these talks. <laughs> so you can say that there's a weather mm -hmm. inside here right now. Mm -hmm. And is it a calm day, you would say, for all the, the the cultures that are doing their work here, or is it a wild day? Yeah, I I'm I like I have been away since the past one week and I I just came back yesterday actually. So uh, when I usually enter back, I kind of have a, uh, a, a look, sniff around. A, a, yeah, a sniff around and have a look, like how are you doing and what has been going on in the past week, and because I've been gone for a week, and um, there has been so much motion in this uh, academy because every almost like eighty percent or ninety percent of the people have left. Uh, while I was gone. So I believe that this motion or the energy vibration in this space ha have also affected somehow my ferments because of the vibration of energy in space. Uh, the same like the music next door that is also influencing yeah, this kombucha. I think that's fascinating. That, yeah. We're going to talk about that later, how these mm -hmm. these cultures are influenced by their surroundings, but yeah. also the th about things that happen and also interact with bodies. Yeah. And our presence, so maybe yeah. So know, me I, being here also influences the kombucha, or my voice maybe yeah, resonates true. within the yeah within with with within the, the liquid. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to introduce you first, Asli, for the yeah. for the listeners. Um, well, Asla Hatipolu is an artist with a love for textiles, weaving and cooking. She uses as representations and manifestations of time and care. And you say about it yourself, and I quote you, by cooking in specific environments and engaging with people from different cultural backgrounds, I run into stories which lead me to subjects such as history, psychology, spirituality, ecology and science. And I translate these stories into textiles or printed edible materials. And I curate dinners around these topics, making use of the social interactions that takes place when we eat together. Looking back at that quote that I just read, how did this past year work for you in that sense? Like cooking together with people or mm -hmm. organizing meals? Yeah. So when I came here, it was all a kind of a precarious state for all of us. And we were actually not allowed to gather in our studios, more than two people with a mask. So it was a bit difficult to come to this new place and not being able to be in touch with each other. But when the uh, the regulations slowed down a bit or changed a little bit, we started to, uh, to become like a family within the academy because we only had each other. So this has also created somehow... Um, uh, our practices to cross each other and to find ways of collaborating with each other. Uh, Can you give like a super concrete example of that? I actually started to uh, collaborate with a farmer who was bringing vegetables to the academy every Wednesday. And he has uh, small scale farming and he was talking also about the problems that he was having. I mean, most of the times the government wants to push the small farmers to produce more or to become bigger, basically. And it's uh, and because of that, I think he doesn't also get as much help in his practice or uh, investments in his practice uh, to be able to just sustain what he has already. And he's uh, uh, working a lot. Um, a lot of us have went to the went to the farm farm and actually helped him out in different periods. 
Um, so some people help to pick apples and I help to pick the tomatoes and some people help to harvest seeds. So we all collectively involve our, ourselves in also how our vegetables grow. And what so, did you learn from this specific local food situation here in Maastricht? Yeah, so I came here with the idea of fermentation uh, in my mind. I really wanted to go into fermentation and ancestral knowledge. So when I came here, I um, started to read a lot of fermentation books and I tried to understand how it's originated. And for yeah, instance, maybe, it was about... Uh, I don't think all of our listeners know what it actually is. Yeah. So, so maybe you should tell a little bit about these microorganisms and these mm -hmm. cultures and what they do. Mm -hmm. So fermentation um, comes from the root of uh, ferme, which is farm. Uh, it was actually invented as a, a way of preserving the abundance of farming. Uh, when you when the weather is good and you produce a lot, it's a way of preserving the food for uh, later use. And so um, when you give the right condition to it, which is usually uh, uh, either with an addition of a bit of salt or lactic acid bacteria that is driven also uh, from the, the skins of vegetables, that they uh, start to multiply and break down also the bigger components in food like carbohydrates or proteins into smaller components. So the bacteria breaks it down because it eats the sugars and uh, breaks down the carb bigger components of things into smaller parts so it's easier for our body to digest because then we don't have to do the work to break it down into smaller components that's when we get tired when we eat when things are not fermented but when, so, the, when the bacteria break it down yeah they also preserve it yes that they also pre i mean they they break it down and they multiply themselves so when they multiply themselves they create an acidic environment where the pathogenic bacteria cannot take over so uh, for instance, salt inhibits the growth of pathogenic bacteria, which is the green mold that we know that lands on everything that we know that has contact with oxygen. It's because they um, also try to, to take advantage of the, the composting process. That's why they try to grow over the surfaces, but they only grow when the conditions are right, which means it's an uh, the green mold grows with aerobic processes so when it's contact to air because it grows everywhere around us basically when we actually inhale we also inhale this green mold but our nose have hair to stop it from mm -hmm. going into our body because our nose is the first mechanism to stop any foreign material because the green molds are not good for us yeah, it's a pathogenic bacteria. So, what, what is a pathogenic? Pathogenic. Pathogenic. Yeah. What is that? That is the green mold, basically. Yeah, but you say you have different. That's like penicillium that it actually uh, attacks our uh, our body. Like it's it's not we cannot live with the green mold in high amounts in our body. So when the lactic acid bacteria, which grows around the vegetables or any live thing, it starts when it has the right condition, which most often the times anaerobic, meaning not in touch with the air. So it's usually submerged in liquids mm -hmm. um, that it starts to multiply itself because when you put um, uh, salt, so the, the amount of salt also changes when you have less salt you inhibit the growth of pathogenic bacteria, but then the fermentation goes slower. When you have more salts, which like for instance, Chinese cuisine have a lot of intense amount of salts in preservation is because they slow down the process of fermentation so they can keep it longer. 
throughout the year. Just the more salt you use, the longer you can keep it. Keep it. Yeah. And use it. Yeah. I was not super new to fermentation, but I actually came to a deeper understanding of it while I was here because I also realized that specific cultures um, develop their food cuisine because of cultivation of the land and preserving this. So that's where the culture comes from, cultivating the land. And that becomes part of the people who are eating this land through the cultivation of the land and preserving of these microbiotic communities that lives on the land. So it made me also think um, deeper into this, um, uh, uh, using it as also as a metaphor a lot for how I see things and how I involve myself into these different cultures and what they actually mean for me, because we live in a globalized world we are mixed uh, uh, of people and we influence one another and our food also uh, through our engagement you eat my food that becomes part of you and uh, that knowledge becomes part of somebody else's so it's a transmitting thing and it just doesn't stay with just in the eats the act of eating itself but as a transformation of one's own heritage uh, through the, 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 the practice of um, dealing with food and transferring this embodiment of this knowledge through the food into somebody else. And this, I think, act of cooking and act of sharing food is significant that I feel that it's more and more disappearing nowadays because people are more detached from actually cooking at home. or uh, And detached from the locality of food. Yeah. Because as you say... The world has become one global village mm -hmm. um, and it seems like a borderless globe, but it isn't because we noticed that we found that out the hard way because mm -hmm. we were trying to travel all together yeah. to the Isle of Mo mm -hmm. and um, you weren't able to get out of the country. You weren't able to get out and get mm -hmm. into the UK and that had lots of reasons. It was the pandemic, it was the, the, mm -hmm. the Brexit because the UK is not part of Europe anymore. Yeah, we were all very agitated. So how to get back to that moment? Because I think it's an interesting contradiction that at one side we become this sort of global fluid community in which our sense of locality has disappeared. And at the same mm -hmm. time, there are these hard walls that we bump into if we want to move around the globe. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel at the moment at Schiphol that you were ready to go and you couldn't? Mm. Um... I don't know. I think in a way, I must say that it didn't hit me as hard anymore. I think it's because I kind of have had many situations before with my Turkish passport that I have been in this kind of situation, which is frustrating. But I think after you go through it a couple of times, you kind of know that it's always going to be a bit of problematics. And um, and every time you wish that it won't, but um, every time it somehow slaps on you, you realize that, okay, once again. And, um, and it's very sad, but it's also, this is the... It's a moment where I also, we, uh, also, a lot of my friends call it like when things become normalized, because at some point you cannot feel hurt anymore. So, yeah, I mean, it happened <laughs> and... Um... Yeah, it happened and we needed to work with it. It was a, a strange situation because we really wanted you as part of the team. Mm -hmm. And um, 
so Sophie and I were thinking, oh, what can we do? What can we do? So we came up quite quickly with an idea that you could be involved with sort of cooking from a distance. Mm -hmm. So that we would send you a list of ingredients and herbs and plants from the garden and that you would from afar direct us in cooking a meal. But it was quite a naive idea about the idea of absence and presence. Also, when you just told me how important it is for you to to tap into local situations and to really relate to mm -hmm. the local culture. Because as you say, culture and cultivating are almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you so we did that proposal and you wrote us a letter in which you... Um, you told us your doubts about this approach. And then we had uh, quite an interesting discussion about it with the, with the team, with the, with the pluriversal mole, thriving on mole team, about all your notions of food and, uh, and the microbe cultures and the idea of colonization and visiting and appropriation, but also the exchange of knowledge. And those things can be really close together. So when are we exchanging knowledge? And when am I appropriating something from you, which I shouldn't do, or when I'm, I'm pushing something of myself into you or over you, mm -hmm. which might come across as, as a colonizing act. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can go back to the letter that you wrote, what the intent of the letter was for you. Yeah. I mean, I think at that moment, I, uh, I must say that I felt a bit frustrated when you proposed me this idea of cooking <laughs> with the ingredients that were cooking. Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Growing in the garden because, uh, um, and I do understand that you were coming up with an urgent solution for my absence, but I really had to take a moment to actually to speak up for myself of what food really meant for me and that I can really not do this. And um, I realized that actually that uh, I'm finally speaking out for what I, how I work and how I would like to work instead of just accepting. So this is, uh, I think, maybe this whole decolonial route and uh, giving also voice to the people of color that I really find uh, finally that I can actually speak to what feels right to me to do. So in that way, it was very liberating for me to be able to write this letter. Um, I, I, I really deeply questioned of all these things that I was Yeah, because writing. the letter was in a questioning mode. For our yeah. listeners, it wasn't accusational. Yeah. It was... Um, but I still think that it 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 needs a lot of precision. This talk about visiting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. appropriating, mm -hmm. exchanging, mm -hmm. colonizing, taking mm -hmm. over, or mm -hmm. being over, you know, mm -hmm. being overtaken by by another entity. Mm -hmm. um, I think these are definitely the questions I'm also uh, uh, questioning a lot myself. I must say, like things that I also don't know what I'm repeating as could be hurtful towards one another, and I think. We keep on maybe making mistakes in the way we uh, we do things, and uh, we. But uh, by active communication and constructive communication, and to call out on each other somehow, like I find this disrespectful, and and so on. I mean, it does take a bit of energy, of course, from from being able to speak out about things that are hurtful, because we are trying to fix a history that we are carrying behind us, and I think. 
um, by the with the right intention of healing one another and uh, being able to hear one another and the compassionate listening actually of uh, the pain, like not to take it personally when somebody says, I find this very disrespectful that what you're saying to me or your words, because nowadays every word carries a different significant meaning and we're focusing so much of what these, how to change our communication by using the right words because we realize how words can be very painful and we're trying to reconstruct our language actually. So, um, well, that's a very uh, urgent process. Yes. It's very needed to yeah, do so. Exactly. But at the same time, we, we need to be able to make mistakes or yeah. we need to be able to sort of find the right yeah. mode for things. Yeah. And I think also not to, like, I sometimes feel that there is this, like, tendency when somebody brings a very intense energy of uh, uh, disliking something because they're hurt the other person uh, sees it as a somehow like well I'm not used to this like this is not my problem or they don't know how to deal with it so they also could tend to escape from it but I learned also myself how to not take things personally but to, to try to find the midway of constructive communication and actually to be honest I lived with um, this year I lived with um, a younger generation they were all in between 18 to 22 years old which has also taught me a lot I realized how constructive they are in their communication and understanding and compassionately listening to each other and discussing a lot of these uh, problems as well related with racism, gender, colonization, like they're all discussing these topics on an everyday basis together. And I've been part of those conversations, which has been also very healing to see that the younger generation is in a progress in these matters. So... I see. Hope I think that in, also seeped into your letter, and in that way, it seeped mm -hmm. into our discussion about mm -hmm. these matters, which I think was very constructive mm -hmm. for the whole mole experience. Mm -hmm. And there was one uh, notion in the letter that that struck everybody as interesting, and and maybe also something to follow up on. Mm -hmm. And it was your idea that you know that persons might not be able to travel because of politics, because of all these tensions, but that these microcultures, mm -hmm. they travel freely over the globe. I mean, you say when you leave this space, they, they are still here and, mm -hmm. the, and, and the person that comes here will bring new ones and they will mm -hmm. mix and they will talk to each other or communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. So the idea, for instance, to import a sourdough culture into Mull from here mm -hmm. and to see what that culture does with the local sourdough culture and how it sort of morphs or, or in, into a new entity. And a entity. New being. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Can you say something with your knowledge, mm -hmm. with the knowledge that you're, that you're building up about these cultures, can you say something about how that works? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, that's the thing that uh, the cultures embody their landscapes also in their new environments. And I mean, I think it's the same with seeds. When seeds travel, they, they find a way to adapt to that climate, to adapt to that soil. And we have somehow made these processes also a bit faster, right? By um, changing uh, the genetically also modifying seeds to be able to adapt to certain temperatures and so on. But what is very interesting with these live cultures is that it starts to embody everywhere it goes. As it travels with you, it starts to 
to become different in every place that you go. So when you're in the mountains, you need more water because the precipitation is um, of the of the the areas is more condensed. So these factors of the environment play role also in the way you make bread. And once you actually start understanding this process, you start to understand and embody a part of this bacterial community too, because you give care to it, you cultivate it. And some people uh, grow a closer relationship to it. Yeah, like for instance, I talk a lot about mirroring yourself through the things that you cultivate and creating a closer well, You literally talk to your cultures. Yeah. You see them as they living embody. entities. Yeah. You, you really communicate with them. Yeah. Yeah. This is also somehow a silence communication that we are sharing that we don't really have to, you know, talk or there is something that I think I also embodied that a little bit from my mother when I was a kid. She also as a foreigner coming into Turkey from Thailand. Uh, ran into a lot of difficulties of being foreigner in this country. So I had to grow up in this, uh, uh, in my childhood of the, the racism she had to go through or the way she saw herself in this community and how she tried to keep a part of her culture or heritage through the things that she has cultivated around her in a garden. So we had orchidees in a little mini garden that she has built and um, and uh, she was grow growing coriander, which was uh, very not popular at the time in Turkey. And all my friends were coming into my mom's garden to see these different things that they have never seen before, which has made her also being able to reach to people that she couldn't reach otherwise through the things that she has cultivated because people became curious about them because so, it was suddenly different. It was something new that they've never seen before. So again, culture yeah. is cultivating. Yeah, the culture is cultivating. And then I saw also that as a... As, a, as her in her being, the way she would water plants, she was having a very silent communication, holding a hose and water flowing into the, as if it was a, the hose was becoming an extension of her feelings, that she was just staring at the plant and knowing exactly how much water to put. And it, it, I felt a bit like a part of her was going through this water into the plant. And she was just doing this for three hours in silence. And I think watching her has like in these processes has also now I'm kind of repeating these processes of this silent communication that I'm having with the things that I'm cultivating or that are becoming part of me. And an awareness yeah. of doing it. Yeah. Because you, you you don't write down recipes also because you think, well, in every circumstance it works differently. Yeah. Uh, so you don't believe in cookbooks. I mean, when I look, when I look at cookbooks, I, I mean, how I function actually is that I look at the ingredients and I try to imagine what my body knows of those ingredients in combination, how it feels in my mouth. Can you do that? So when you read a recipe, yeah. you can sort of bring those yeah. tastes Yeah, because in your I mouth? know each element and their flavor. So I make a composition of the flavor profile in my mouth to see if I like the recipe and sometimes I take a part of it and adjust it to how I like it but then you, you kind of recompose it the way and that's where I think the human creativity and the power of creativity of how we deal with things differently is by bringing ourselves and our own understanding of it together so Mm, I have this tendency of uh, using the ingredients that I know very well. 
adapting it into, for instance, what is available here. Like that's when I actually started cooking uh, Thai food vegan uh, because I don't support the fish industry and and I was trying to find alternatives of creating Thai cuisine uh, with uh, local ingredients and the the way of cooking it that it's also involving people so they do go through the, because Thai food a lot about smells and the composition of those tastes the sour spicy salty uh, sweet and so understanding that composition how it comes together is actually by going through it together so i don't when i yeah and are you able to recreate those yeah those very complex palette of tastes and smells yeah away from thailand Mm -hmm. because you also try to make your own soy sauce here Mm -hmm. for instance Mm -hmm. and how did that go i mean that was quite a complex process wasn't it yeah that was definitely a complex process so um, I must say that I there is this part of me that I know that I cannot make everything by myself, but and I do not try to make everything by myself. I try to make soy sauce, but I learned a lot in this process of soy sauce because I never grew up in a, in a place where soy sauce was made around me. I only know it from a jar, from a bottled product that uh, my mother had to import it also from uh, Thailand because she also didn't grow up making soy sauce herself. So um, uh, for me, it was a process where I started not even knowing the season where I was start yeah. to where I was supposed to start. I think I started this in April last year, uh, this year. Uh, so it's been six six months seven months and it has gone through different processes and i actually really had to see how the profile was changing every month but because i didn't understand it i had to read a lot of scientific papers had to go through a lot of like is it supposed to taste like this is this normal what's growing over it so i didn't really have that relationship with it and i realized how difficult it was for me for instance and i so wish that i could have been in a place where i actually see how people embody this practice uh, in these big vats and wooden vats where um, uh, the wood would also contain these microbiotic community as you enter to the space it has a specific smell because of the specific microbiotic community that is living in this space because I think this whole idea of containing because we now think a lot about our domestic spaces right about being contained somewhere and having being in this kind of walls and containers and when you think of the cultures they also need the right containers and if you put uh, 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 like a very new uh, uh, a culture into a very new place, they uh, panic because they are not familiar with having the 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 same microbiotic community around them to feel safe. So they start and to learn to, from. Also. Yeah. So then that's when you actually start to see a mold growing that is taking over and so on. So there is this kind of relationship that is going on in a, in a, in a foreign space also for bacteria is the same thing. So these microbiotic communities actually work along with each other. When there is a temperature that's 18, the soya sauce, uh, bacteria, the, the, some bacteria that is in there that favors the 18% starts to multiply. And then when it's 22, the 22, uh, yeah. degree, 
uh, the bacteria takes over and then this is what creates the flavor profile and it goes through four seasons usually like it goes through every temperature and that's what develops the flavor and I think there is something so poetic in there to go through the seasons and to also be aware of your environment and to know that all these seasons are also affecting the final product and the slowness of giving life to this thing and um, now when i um i do like my soy sauce that i produce because i because that was that, that's that's then my question so you have that you've been through the whole process of trying yeah. to to create soy sauce here in mm -hmm. the netherlands do you still think that's a good thing to do yeah so that was when i came to this conclusion that i would prefer to uh, buy a, or have a product that is made by somebody who really embodies this heritage and really know how to deal with it so for me to produce something using technology to create exact mimicking basically this is what we're doing nowadays to do everything indoor and mimicking all these environmental temperatures and humidities to grow things but it also for me, stops the urgency of dealing with our environment because everything is controlled, possible to do it indoor, but it also starts questioning like who has the access to these things to be able to do? And where does this energy source coming from? And why are we using this energy to cultivate this? And uh, we are a bit detached also from our like the actual environments. Like I can buy a yeast online anytime, but I actually forget about the yeast that lives on the, the apple just that grows next to me here. Actually, I started giving fermentation workshops. I started talking about these, that it doesn't become just about learning how to do fermentation, but also critical subjects that come with fermentation. Uh, what exactly are we doing? And well, you stumble upon it while yeah. doing it because yeah, you exactly. run into problems or you yeah. run into compl complex, complex matters. Things, yeah. <laughs> because it's so... Uh, linked to locality and conditions. Yeah. We're approaching the end of the talk, but I, there are two things I still want to talk about. One is, how would you like to proceed with the mole project? Because we're really doing our best to mm -hmm. still get you on mole. Mm -hmm. And Miek Swanborn, uh, who's also in Maastricht now, she's smuggled in some seaweed from mole <laughs> <laughs> and some, uh, some herbs from the bog. Mm -hmm. What would you do? I am I'm actually quite fascinated by this um this exchange that's like um a piece of what she has cultivated from her own garden that ended up in front of me right now that she brought me with and that I immediately first smelled it. I tried to get an I like a kind of a sense of this earth that I'm not familiar with, where I don't know. So how does this smell for me? That's why I smelled the beetroot when it came to me. And the same with the seaweed, which is, yeah, quite fresh um, picked. So I think I'm also having my own sensations and deep thought with this thing that is in front of me now. But I, again, would need to have my time and possibly going there, being in this spot and having actually encounter with the residents there. So I'm actually interested also in the differences between a digital communication and the communication of the land that speaks to the body. So I would like to explore, I think, both uh, by being in contact with some people from there and maybe see uh, 
um, which dynamic we are and what we can do together and um, and maybe we run into two interesting subjects and then maybe I write about these uh, things that I encounter through these um, interactions digitally, but also by my physical presence. Uh, and I think already having all these critical questions or the, these things and to see how it weaves into each other will just be a natural process. So um, I'm hoping to to explore both. Yeah, and, and, and we're trying to make that happen, of course. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that you talk a lot about um, well, the body, your body, but the body in general has entered your domain. Mm -hmm. It's not only about cooking as a process or weaving or, you know, as, as, as means of, of capturing time or showing care for things. You use the fermentation and the cooking also as a mirror for your own soul. Mm -hmm but also for your own body. Mm -hmm. And um, you showed me some experiments earlier on of how the cultures, these, these microorganism cultures, like mm -hmm. the kombucha, how they react to external stimuli, to mm -hmm. sound, for instance, but also to the presence of our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I also heard that next, your next step is to do this performance art project. Mm -hmm. So... Can you say a little bit about these steps that you that you take towards the body as a performative vessel, but also as a mm -hmm. as an entity that relates to these microcultures? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm moving to Brussels um, in in a month, and I'm starting a new residency in a, in the APAS. Um, it's a advanced performance in scenography studies. I decided to go into this field. Um, well, it actually started with the fact I had to produce my work for the Food Art Film Festival digitally last year. So I actually was processing a five kilo of dough on my table here. We're sitting and um, a friend of mine was uh, um, filming me. And I actually, while I was being in touch with my hands, with this subject, involving my body in it, a lot of thoughts came out. And I was actually digesting a lot of emotions. That's why I called it digesting emotions and fermenting consciousness. And that was... And it was a big pile. Let's visualize it. There was a big yeah. pile of sourdough dough. Yeah. yeah. A pizza dough. And you were dough. kneading it into pizza. I was pizza. kneading it. Yeah. And I was involving my whole body in it because I was always working mini scale and I never really worked with something bigger or half the size of my body. And I really wanted to explore what this really means to my body. So I started building this relationship with this thing, this entity <laughs> that was very physical in front of me. And um, one could say that um, having a lot of failures and a lot of mistakes, but that was part of it because... Uh, I was questioning a lot about vulnerability and fragility and not being perfect and still trying to understand this thing. So, so you're going to take that using your body in relation also to the yeah. dough, to the, to, to the cultures, to a next level yeah. in a more performative yes. way in working together with other people. Yeah. That sounds That's, very yeah. exciting. Yeah. You lead an adventurous life, Asli, <laughs> Atipoglu. And I wish you a lot of luck in the... Thank in the, you. In the month and the year to come. Yes. Thank you so much for this Thank conversation. You. And of course, we will keep our audience posted about your, about the next chapter on the Mull saga. Okay? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
In Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Traveling Academy, an initiative of Het Nieuwe Instituut in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Traveling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, sociopolitical and spatial issues.